0: The trident is the only device that signifies you and identifies you as a SEAL operator. Every day I earn my trident, no matter where I'm at or what I'm doing, whether it's on the battlefield or on liberty, I earn my trident every day.
1: Brought to you by SOCOM athlete, me. Thank you for listening to SOCOM Athletes Podcast. Send me, this is your host, Jason, coming at you for the second episode of 2023, live on February 1st. Today, we are opening up for live Q&A with SOCOM Athletes students across the United States. Joining us is Navy SEAL Chad Williams, best-selling author of the book, Seal of God. Chad joined us on the Send Me podcast just about one year ago for episode 40, going into further detail of his incredibly powerful story. If you haven't already listened to episode 40, give this episode a pause, go back and listen to our episode with Chad. So without further delay, let's get this podcast episode going. Chad, my man, how are you doing today, brother?
0: Very good. Beautiful day out here in Huntington Beach, California, so I definitely can't complain. Another day in paradise.
1: Right on, brother. It's been almost one year since you came on the podcast. Wow. What's been going on since last year, 2022?
0: I'd say I'm still doing the, the the stuff that I was doing before, a lot of the itinerant speaking, travel speaking, but just to a greater capacity. Yeah, so things have uh, really picked up. I began to step my foot out a little bit more into the corporate realm. You know, as people that watched the podcast last time, they, they might recall, or maybe this is the first time, but I do do a lot of faith-based speaking. I mean, it's in the title of the book. Sometimes it's a surprise to people. Like, the title of the book is Seal of God. And they like read the book and they're like, wow, I I didn't know it was going to be all about like God towards the end there. It's like, well, the title of the book, bro, come on. It's like, how's that a shocker? Uh, But I do a lot of the faith based speaking, but I started stepping into uh, the corporate world and, and talking more about, you know, leadership, things that are derived from the SEAL teams. But I find that any truth that you ever grasp onto will find itself rooted back in the teachings of the Bible. And so a lot of the corporate stuff, which has been real enjoyable, it's kind of an opportunity too for me to, in a way, uh, sort of introduce them a little bit to Christ. I I, I don't want to cross that line. I don't hijack the meeting and turn it into, you know, a gospel, you know, presentation, but there are some opportunities there to talk a little bit about uh, faith and what an influence Jesus of Nazareth has been on my personal life.
1: No, that's very effective, Chad, especially when you're sharing your personal story and ultimately displaying your passion and your love for what you've done for your country. And if people want to know a little bit more about that, then they can approach you. They know that you're going to be willing to talk about that. So it's, it's just planting seeds. It's incredible work. Um, so Chad, as far as these, these speeches that you do, uh, would you mind sharing with our listeners out there uh, kind of what are, what are some of the main topics that you hit?
0: Uh, I like the number seven, because it's a number of completion. So I have seven principles or maxims that I'll take folks through and kind of break down how it plays out on the battlefield. And so I might open up with, you know, like a scenario out in Iraq, the last operation I was involved in where we're going after, you know, an Iraqi policeman that wore that uniform by day, but at night back home, you know, he's a bomb maker. And as we go rolling up to go get this guy, this is the final op. like this is this is the one after this, we get to go home. Well, instead of being business as usual, uh, this guy knew that we were coming and it wound up being the biggest you know, gun battle that you know we were involved in, the most dangerous operation we're on that entire deployment as we get set up on an ambush. And so it truly was the team's ability to shoot, move, communicate, and these principles I share with people that led to mission success and all of us making it out of that situation alive. So a quick breakdown of all of them is it starts off with goal setting. And so I play off a fundamental of shooting that you learn, you know, in seal training, I'm sure you learned as well as you aim small, miss small, you know, the more particular you could be about whatever it is that's in your crop, there's the better shot you actually have of hitting it. Like For instance, if I have an enemy insurgent that's flanking my team, bearing down on us and my goal is just to put a round through this guy somewhere and I miss what happens, I miss my goal. I don't touch my target. But if I say forget just trying to hit this guy, what I'm looking for is I'm trying to find... You know, his second, third button down on his T-shirt. Now I'm aiming small. I'm not just trying to hit him. I'm going for that third button down. That's what's in my crosshairs. I'm aiming small, and perhaps I missed. Maybe I don't hit that third button down. I'm aiming small, but the miss will be small as well. I don't hit that third button down, but I'll still find myself probably putting something through that goal that I had intended. And so this applies from the battlefield into business and whole life stuff, You know, it's one thing to kind of start off with this general idea of like, you know, I want to be more successful. That could be a goal, you know, or, uh, you know, I want to do something significant with my life. All right. That's a goal. That's kind of where I was at coming out of high school in junior college. You know, I I just knew I I didn't want to live a wasted life. And any young man watching right now, none none of you want to live a wasted life. You want to do something significant, something meaningful. And so in a sense, you kind of have this broad general goal But now get more specific. You know, what's your aim small on that? And as I was sitting in my truck in a parking lot one day at junior college, failing all my classes, I started narrowing the scope, you know, from, you know, maybe I'll go be an Alaskan crab fisherman, kind of shook that one off. Uh, maybe I'll go join the military. And then I really started focusing in on what the branch was going to be and and where I was, I want to go. I want to be a Navy SEAL. So I had my aim small, miss small. And so the idea behind that is the more particular you could be about whatever it is that's in your crosshairs, the better shot you actually have of hitting it. And so don't just have this general idea of like, man, I would just like to be more successful. No, be specific, you know, in what sense. And that applies to all disciplines. And so it's, it's a basic one. You know, it's like if you aim at nothing in life, you'll hit it. That's what the enemy's doing overseas half the time. You know, they're just holding a weapon over the wall, pulling the trigger and just hoping that it hits the target. That's, that's how the enemy operates. All right. If, if you want to be a part of like special operations, we're surgical. We're very particular about whatever it is that's in our crosshairs, and you have a higher success rate. I kind of phase it into, you know, well, once you have your aim small, miss small, what type of man or woman is it? that actually succeeds when it comes time to pull that trigger. And I like this one right out of our seal creed. It's the common man with uncommon desire to succeed. And I love that because, you know, I think a lot of people have the uh, misconception, you know, that that seals or any kind of special operators out there are these guys that are just born and bred this way. Uh, They were just blessed with some kind of DNA that produced some kind of muscle and stamina to where it's one of these things where you either have it or you don't. That couldn't be further from the truth, from my observation of things. I used to think that way. Like, what's the deal? Like, do some people just have it or don't? But I've realized that this is actually something that can be developed, and this is something that's internal, and that's good news, because there are things about your DNA that you cannot control, right? I mean, you didn't get to pick your DNA, but here's the good news. Like, DNA does not determine your destiny. Like, the most important stuff, the controlling influence really comes down to desire. You know, what kind of heart, what kind of mindset? Do you have? How obsessed are you with whatever it is that's in your crosshair? So that's why it's not the uncommon man with uncommon desire. It's just the common man, but with uncommon desire to succeed. And I have seen that play out time and time again from within my own buds class, you know, looking around at guys that you try and pick out that you think will make it and others that won't. And I remember looking at one guy thinking when the instructor said, you know, gentlemen, look left, look right. You know, there's 173 of us together. And uh, we're taking mental pictures of each other, looking around in front of you, behind you. He's like, hey, by the law of averages, chances are if you're just standing here for graduation day, that means each of these guys you just took a mental picture of didn't make it. And I remember looking around the room and honestly, just being completely astonished because we'd already gone through some pre-seal training together, some in-doc, where these instructors have given us a good little taste of beatdowns. And nobody has quit yet. Every single one of the guys was still there from the very beginning. And so looking around the room and realizing, man, the majority of the room has got to go, I was trying to pick off some of that low-hanging fruit in my mind, like some of the guys that I thought just don't belong. And as I'm looking around the room trying to pick them out, I couldn't pick anybody out. And one of the guys that captured my attention was this guy Barth. He captured my attention in such a way. When I looked at that guy, I thought, there's one of the guys that will definitely be there for graduation day because he was that guy. Uh, that was the stud of the class. He was the guy that just seemed like he was born and bred to be a Navy Steel, blessed with some kind of DNA to where there was never a question over who was going to get first place. You know, it's it's, it's Barth. The debate amongst the guys is like, okay, who's grabbing second? Because we know who's going to be, you know, in first. So I'm locked in on him thinking there's one of the guys that will be there. And then I'm kind of going, man, what am I doing? I'm supposed to find the guys that aren't going to make it. I'm scanning the room and I see this other guy, Alex Gagné. Alex Gagne is the complete antithesis of Barth. Like, he is the ugly duckling of the class. He's in what we call the goon squad, uh, which is the very back of the runs, like total opposite of Barth, where you get a lot of extra, unspecial, wanted attention from the instructors. And he's just one of these guys that I don't think he had any athletic background. He just rolled off the couch one day, unplugged the electronics, and decided, this is what I want to do. I want to be a Navy SEAL. And so him here amongst us, just by the look of things, it actually was kind of an insult. You know, it's like, what is this guy even doing here with this right now? How did he make it through the bare minimum requirements to even get in? So I'm looking at him thinking not only is he going to quit, he's the locker room talk. Everyone's talking about him like he's going to be the first guy to quit out of anybody. Well, the irony is that by the time we get to the n- most difficult part you know, of training, Hell Week, who's amongst the first to quit at that stage? Well, it's not this guy, Ganya, who's still there somehow amongst the first to quit was this guy Barth, the stud of the class, the guy that everybody would have picked as most likely to succeed and make it? And who was one of those guys that ultimately made it through that pipeline and became a Navy SEAL? This guy, Alex Gagne, that runt of the litter, the locker room talk, the guy that everybody thought not only will he quit, he will be the first to quit. I think that that demonstrates the truth of that that principle. Uh, and, And this goes for anyone out there of just simply being a common man with uncommon desire to succeed. DNA in the case of Bart did not determine his destiny. The most important thing here wasn't DNA, it was desire. And so you could have that mindset, right, where you don't really want it that bad, or you could have the die before you quit mentality of a guy like Gagne. And that guy made it all the way through that pipeline. And so I spend a lot of time probably on that aspect of things because it is, I think, one of the most important ones. Once you have a target, what type of man or woman are you going to be? Uh, and then from there, I kind of move on into you know leadership, uh, how we practice leadership in the teams, no different than what you've experienced, I'm sure, uh, where it's always about the team first, then your buddy, then me. And so the I is always last. You know, steaming the needs of others is greater than your own. Hey, that sounds biblical right there. Like I said earlier, like any truth that we ever grasp onto, will find itself rooted in biblical teaching. And so this is a practice of the SEAL teams. It's humbly I serve. It's team first, buddy, and then you always looking out after one another. But this is also how Jesus led. He's the ultimate servant leader. In fact, he's well known for saying what I didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve. Like he got down and walked his disciples feet and invested into them. And what happened out of that is like it blew their mind. Because that's so the opposite of how leaders treated before. They would just throw their weight around. And that's how the rest of the world is. The rest of the world just kind of throws their weight around. You know, I'm the boss. I'm the manager. I can call out the shots. And sure, that's one leadership model. You can rely on chain of command, you know, but you're just going to be like smoke to the eyes of everyone else around you. And so any of these young guys that are looking to maybe be officers and and get into what type of leader do you want to be? Do you want to be the leader that just relies on the authority that you have, but nobody really genuinely likes you and there's no loyalty towards you? Or you could decide to be the servant leader that invests into and develops those that are around him so that when you have a call, when you have a task, when you say to your team, hey, push left, and this means going into a hail of bullets right now, do they have that type of loyalty where it's like, hey, if my assault leader wants me to push left and go to a hail of bullets, I will do this for him? Or is that going to be the moment where they go, you know what? I question his judgment right now. And so those servant leaders, what comes out of that, like with, with Jesus, is he gains this loyalty out of it his followers are looking at him saying here he is our leader doing this for us when we should be doing these types of things for him something came out of that i said that money cannot genuinely buy its loyalty so that when he gave them a task they were willing to literally go the extra mile they were literally willing to put their lives on the line and sign their testimonies in their blood for that and so Again, you could be a prideful, arrogant leader. Maybe you come from humble beginnings and you think I'll never be that way. Beware of the pitfalls of pride that come creeping in once you have that power and that authority. And maybe a leader like that gets a great idea. Maybe a leader like that has some type of aim small, miss small. You know, here's a direction we all should be going in. Uh, But what happens is is he needs a group of good sled dogs to see that thing through. But if all you're left with is a bunch of guys that are only going to give you the bare minimum – you know, as soon as they could clock out, as soon as they could check out, like that's it for them, that idea will always be like a, like an eagle with its wings clipped. It'll never soar quite as high as it could have, you know, whereas these servant leaders, which is what we practice, you know, in the teams and special offers, it creates this sort of family dynamic where we're not trying to stab each other in the back. We're covering each other's back. You know, it creates this sort of family dynamic where that servant leadership truly is the glue that holds that fraternity together. And so, going on from servant leadership, I, I deal with how we deal with adversity in the teams, or forged by adversity, uh, and that's just really a matter of like perspective. You know, when when the chips are down, when you get knocked down, or you get to just stay down, you're going to look at this as you know, this is one of those things that's ultimately going to mold me and shape me and teach me things like perseverance that I can only learn if I have something I needed to persevere through. How could you ever develop qualities right like in perseverance or endurance if you've never had something that you had to? endure through. Uh, And then into earning your trident every day. A lot of this is really right out of the seal creed, which is all about striving for innovation, never resting on your laurels, never just saying, hey, I've arrived, I've made it, you know, because we're dealing with an enemy out there that's constantly evolving, adapting, becoming more sophisticated. I mean, look at the sophistication of weaponry they have now in Afghanistan, billions of dollars of some of our cutting edge technology. And, you know, Jason, that's like our little brothers. That's that's our children one day are going to be up against that. You know, now they have remote weapon systems, you know, that we had a total advantage with before. Now it's in their hands. Now they have the night vision goggles like surplus, right? They have all kinds of stuff. And so if we're just relying on, you know, whatever it is that got me by to earn my trident back in 2004, those are the tactics or 2005. Those are the tactics I'm relying upon. That's a great way to get totally wiped out on the battlefield. And that's true in life as well. Just look at how much the world has changed around us just simply since 2020, just simply since the COVID era. And so with this constantly influx changing and evolving world, we all need to be earning our trident every day, which is just that striving for innovation and not resting on those laurels. You know, like think of the dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are big, powerful, strong creatures, right? But what did they lack? An, an ability to adapt to their surrounding environment. They're not here anymore. Uh, and then the last two that I get into is uh, just how you control your emotions and actions regardless of the circumstances, which I think actually has a lot to do with mental toughness. I mean, I think that's like, that's a very good definition of mental toughness is, and this is in the creed. It's an ability to control your emotions and actions, regardless of circumstances. And so I think that that can be developed the same way you can develop mental toughness. And then the final one is, you know, where we really find, I guess you could say that heart, that will, that mindset to be that common man with uncommon desire in the team's one of our last lines of the creed, it says that in the worst of conditions, I'll rely upon the legacy of those who have gone before me to steady my resolve, to guide my every deed. And so before we go out and operate, you know, maybe you have a little pep talk from Master Chief before you go. This has happened where he's saying things like, well, all right, boys, as I send you out on this one, there's a good chance not all of you come back alive or on one piece. I don't care who you are. That kind of messes with your head a little bit. And so how do you reorient yourself? Well, before you don't leave them there. You know, we'll retell the stories before we go out. You know, we retell the stories of, hey, before you go, don't forget what Mikey did, Mike Mansour, you know, on that roof in Ramadi. You know, he, for those that don't know the story, Mikey was uh, a SEAL, he's in a class before me, and he ended up out there in Ramadi providing protection, cover for other SEALs that were out on a road as he's up there on a rooftop with some other SEALs. And, you know, this hand grenade gets thrown up on the roof of all the places that bounces off of his chest falls into the dark. And if you could imagine the setup was that he had an exit, just a, a step pivot away. So he totally could have saved himself. But here's the rub is that there's other seals that are on the roof in these proned out positions. They don't have time to get up and make it past this grenade. And so Mikey's last words was grenade. So these guys could take some form of cover as he threw himself over the top of this grenade covering it and it went off and he absorbed just the, the wrath of that, that shrapnel all in himself and he died. But because of what he did, every single one of these other guys on the roof, they all lived. And so you could say greater love is no one than this one that lays down his life for his friends. And so, in the retelling of these stories, in the worst of conditions, relying upon the legacy of those who have gone before me to steady my resolve to guide my every deed, when you reflect on the stories of Michael Monsoor or my mentor Scott Helvinston, you know what that does is it steals my resolve, it gets me fired up. And I, I don't worry about myself. You know, I get focused on the operation at hand, and so that was kind of like a
1: thirty thousand foot
0: view of like uh, I don't that know. That was excellent thirty thousand minute chat.
1: No, <laughs> no, that that was great. All of your messages, extremely powerful, and these are messages that can be very beneficial to all professions, whether it be the hyper focus or whether it be the servant leadership or the. Common Man with Uncommon Desire, and we're about to bring on our students for live Q&A. Chad, I would love for you, if you don't mind, to go into further detail of how do you think one develops desire in that uncommon desire, right? That, to me, is is what's uncommon, so I would love to hear more um, the listeners for this podcast are generally those individuals that have that uncommon desire. And that's why they are here to physically prep and take that next step. So Chad, I'm really excited to hear more and thank you for coming on for live Q and a today, brother.
0: Yep. Awesome. Looking forward to it.
1: All right, fellas. Looks like our first question is going to be from Caden. What's going on, my man.
0: How's it going guys? um
1: jason good to hear and see from you again um chad i've read some of your book and i love everything about it i love everything you got going on i'm trying to go to buds here in august and Mm -hmm. i've been to two hell days with jason he's kicked my ass
0: both times so it's been a good time um i my question for you is i'm also recently turned christian three ish years ago and i wanted to Mm -hmm. see what prompted you on that whole journey yeah, I guess you could say that I grew up in a household that went to church. I don't know if it's the same for, for you, but, you know, my, my, my parents were Christian. Uh, I would identify myself as Christian. I remember going to boot camp and, you know, they want to know what do you want to put on the on your dog tag, you know, as far as religion. It's like, well, Christian, because that's, that's what I am. That's my team. But that's kind of how I cre- treated Christianity back then. It was like, well, if you're from Southern California, you're probably going to root for like the Angels or the Dodgers uh, well, you know, this is my family, uh, and we're Christians and, you know, had I've been born into like a Mormon household or, you know, uh, uh, a Muslim household, I probably would be that too. Like there was not really any distinction in that sense. So gotcha. I never really took it too seriously, but then it was after I got into the teams while I was on, on team one. And this is kind of after achieving, like in my mind, the ultimate of like becoming a seal, Yeah, I really put everything into becoming a SEAL because I thought, well, I I don't really like the way my life is going here at junior college, failing all these classes. I want to do something significant, something meaningful, just like every young man out there wants to do. You guys all want to do that, and I made becoming a SEAL basically my god. And so when I finally achieved it, it was a great moment. I mean, I had that moment where I have family and friends there as you're getting the Trident and the insignia pinned into your chest, saying. You know, welcome to the brotherhood. You are a steal. That was probably one of like the highest highs I ever experienced. What I was not ready for was that just within probably 24 hours by the next morning, I felt the wind coming out of that sale. I, I felt like everything began to slowly kind of go downhill and circle the drain from that point forward. And I'm just kind of internalizing this. I'm not talking about it with anyone. I'm trying to figure out like why, what's going on. And you know what? It wasn't until years later, I heard these words over the radio where I thought, man, that hits the nail on the head. That's exactly what I experienced. And this was from a philosopher. He says, one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience is when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate. And in the end, it lets him down. So one of the loneliest moments a man will ever experience when he's achieved that which he thought would deliver the ultimate in the end, it lets him down. What he's referring to right there is, you know, sometimes what we talk about is the human condition. Or we look at it as like, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. We're not quite satisfied in life where we're at. Okay, well, what do you want, man? I just want a little bit more. And so we buy into this belief if we could just achieve some goal, you know, then I'll be happy. And that leads to some good stuff because when you have a goal in your sights like that, you will develop a hunger. And that hunger leads to the hard work, the drive, blood, sweat, tears, whatever determination it takes to get there. And you guys have probably all experienced this, at least to some degree on a micro level. You achieve a goal, recognition is made, awards are passed out, and you enjoy that moment. But what happens is is you can't live off of that moment for the rest of your life. And so you go, well, the reason this didn't give me lasting fulfillment is probably because I didn't go for something big enough. And so what do we do? We raise the bar. We go to that next rung of the ladder. And now you're aiming for something higher. You're thirsting after it. You go through the whole process. You get there. You drink it up. You're satisfied all over again. But like a vicious cycle, you just get hungry and thirsty for more. And it seems like the search just never ends. But there is an end point. And I would say the end point is when you finally achieve like the very top. And you're still left hungry and thirsty for more. It's when you have finally gotten to a place where you can't conceive of anything being higher from here. Like This is the peak of the mountain. And you look around at the peak of the mountain to realize, man, there's nothing up here like I thought there would be. You know, I'm still the same man, you know, and, 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 and so it, it's worse than before, because at least I had the delusion before of like, I'm not happy right now. But man, if I ever got to that point, then I'd be satisfied when you climb to the top and you realize like this is it and, and you make that your God. And and, and whatever God is in your life, you know what it is, I'd say there's only one God, but God is whatever you spend the most time thinking about, whatever you are most obsessed with, whatever consumes you, whether you like to call it God or not, that's the thing that you worship. That's the object of your worship. And so when I made that God, it couldn't live up to being God. You know, that that was a, a secondary or supplementary thing in life. And so long story short, It was while I was on the teams, on team one, that I was really confronted with that message of the cross and realized that, you know, all these other pursuits in life, they will leave you hungry, thirsty for more, never really satisfied. But Jesus says, if you drink of my living water, you'll never thirst again. How is it that all these other things in life leave you hungry and thirsty for more? But he says, you drink my water, you'll never thirst again. You never thirst again in the sense that you are complete. You're complete in the sense that you are right with your creator. You're finally functioning the way that you're always intended to function. To know your God. Once you have that right relationship with God through the Son, Jesus, everything else takes its proper category where it belongs. So I was trying to put take being a seal and putting that in the place of being God. It can't live up to that. That's why I wasn't satisfied. But when God is God, the one truth, and He is in the throne of your life, everything else takes its proper category. And then I could actually go back to being a SEAL and enjoy it in a way that I didn't enjoy it before as the secondary supplementary in life. And so for me, the perspective is what the scriptures say, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so when I was being a seal, but it was all just me and not God, it was just me, me, me. I always say that's like decaf. It just doesn't deliver, you know, but you could flip it around and say, I'm not being a seal for me. You know, I'm doing it for thee. I'm doing this in the name of. And when I did it in the name of, suddenly now, It's like I found fulfillment because I'm bringing the Lord into the temporal things that I do. So now this temporal thing that only carried temporal significance in and of itself, now it's actually infused with eternal significance. So the way I looked at it was I'm a seal for Christ. And so that's why the the book seal, you know, seal of, of God. And so, yeah, it was March 14, 2007 while I was on seal team one. I was confronted with that message and realized this is, this is what I was missing all that time is I have no peace in my life because I don't have any peace with the creator. But once I gained that, man, I gained everything. Right. Wow. Thank you. That was awesome. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Chad. And if I may caveat, a lot of our students that have gone through the SOCOM athlete program, we're coming up on year six now. So guys are really starting to get through these pipelines. And I've heard from a lot of them, hey, Jason, man, it was the weirdest feeling whenever I graduated the pipeline because I was just like, I felt this sense of almost emptiness. Like, hey, I had accomplished this, but but what now? And then when you get to your teams, it's a very humbling feeling because- You're at a different totem pole, but you're at the bottom of that totem pole. And yes, you've graduated, but now you're the lowest PJ on that team, the lowest SEAL, the lowest Green Beret on that team. And you have to fight and scratch and claw to get upgraded so that you can even get slotted for a deployment. And then whether or not you get some type of experience on that deployment, that's completely random. Right. And you have to gain those experiences in order to gain rank and gain skill to gain rank. And it just never ends, really. And as you guys know, there's different levels that you can take your operability. And that's the tier one level. Primarily, this is Sil team six Delta four slash CAG and the 24th Special Tactics Squadron for the Air Force. I've even spoke with individuals that are on those teams that are dealing with what Chad was speaking of, of this sense of emptiness where they thought, when I get there, I've made it. When I get there, I'm going to finally feel like I am whole. And the reality is nothing can fill that sense of emptiness except for Christ. Mm -hmm. And Chad and I have tapped into that. And we have the sacred obligation of being able to share that with you. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, Kaden, great question. We will come back to you. I know you have a couple more, but first Matthew, if you are ready for your question, my man, come on off mute and ask it. Yes, sir. Uh, and thank you so much, Chad, for, for, doing this. We really appreciate it. And it's, it's an, it really is an honor to have you. My question is how did your faith impact the team environment, um, especially at first versus over time how did the environment sort of change for you before you were Christian and then afterwards,
0: man, that's a good question. Um, I'll give you guys some, some tips along the way here too. Uh, so since I had such an abrupt change suddenly, like while I was on a team, uh, that abrupt change was not welcomed so much. I bet if I set the tone from the very beginning, I bet if this was the kind of guy that I was from the very start, I wouldn't have had some of the issues that I had, you know, but you know, sort of like misery loves company, man. Like I, and and bad company corrupts good morals on the professional side of things, no issues, but then, you know, guys, I think in the special operations community, they really adopt this mentality of like work hard, play hard. And I definitely was like on the play hard side of things. I love to, you know, get out, cut loose with the guys, let the hair down as it were. Uh, And then suddenly one day I'm just like, Hey guys, I I need to tell you something. I became a Christian. And that was really hard for me to tell them. Like for whatever reason, I don't like that was one of the hardest things for me to like say to a group, like to a platoon. I remember they looked at me and they just go, "Good for you, Williams." Like not the response I was expecting. I thought I was going to get clowned on for it or just hassled. They're like, "Good for you." I was like, "Okay, that wasn't so bad." Uh, but what happened was, and I was a new guy on the team at that time. As a new guy, you're very young and impressionable, and you do whatever the older guys tell you to do. You do it. Well, part of that was, you know, I was, I was part of their entertainment. You know, so when we do the work hard, play hard side of things, I'm part of that entertainment. If it's like, hey, new guy, go do this. Hey, new guy, you go do that. You know, like, I'm all for it as the new guy. But when it became like, hey, new guy, chug this, you know, like, part of that entertainment would be just to get like, do guys totally drunk, wasted. But now I've got this moral boundary where I go, no, I'm not going to do that. And that infuriated them, right? Because I didn't already have the tone set. I already kind of set up this pattern where I was that go-to guy. And then all of a sudden, one day, I'm just like, no. And you don't say no as a new guy. And what happened was I was mixed in there with a a group of guys, too, that it just probably wasn't the best group. You know, like of of all the guys in a lottery, like I could have wound up with, like in that first platoon. I wound up with like four or five pretty bad ones, like where I thought, man, if these guys weren't all together at the same time, in the same way, things would have gone a lot smoother, you know, for me. Um, And so that ended up starting quite a bit of clash. And it was over things that just weren't really necessary. And, you know, I think the mentality for some of these guys that, I mean, I didn't have any Christians in that platoon. I didn't have any other Christians. And so you're definitely a black sheep in that sense. And their mentality is like, look, if you can't, like, I'd be their designated driver. If you can't go into that strip club right now, if you can't go look at the, the body of a naked woman, uh, how is it that you're going like, to be able to shoot and kill? How is it you're going to be able to cover my back? And so that was their mentality. Like, for me as a Christian, I have no moral conflict in that sense. Like, yeah, to go look at a, a, a naked woman, like at a strip club, that is moral conflict. But to go shoot and kill Like a terrorist, a savage, you know, that has bad intentions, for me, you know, like that's no problem at all. But it doesn't make sense to someone on the outside, right? This is sort of like a spiritual thing that only makes sense to people that are spiritual in that sense. It doesn't make sense to the natural man, as the Bible puts it. There's a misconception that you can't be an operator and be a Christian. That's a total misconception. The commandment isn't thou shall not kill. The sixth commandment is thou shall not murder. And there's a major difference between killing versus murdering. In fact, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time for everything. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to be happy. There is a time to kill. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told his followers to take with them swords. We know the swords weren't for advancing his kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world, lest my servants would fight. But he sent them out with a gear list. He told them to bring a money bag, bring a knapsack, bring sandals. And if you don't have a sword, go get one. Well, we know that they're not supposed to be spreading the message by force like they do in Islam. That's actually what Islam means. It means submission. And so they believe they spread their their religion through enforcing it. Christianity is not spread by enforcing, but there is an expectation for a Christian to be able to defend himself and defend defenseless people. And that's why he said, bring a sword. The sword is for defense. And so you're defending helpless people. And then even in Romans chapter 13, it says that the government does not bear the sword in vain. were to be a terror in the lives of those that are terrorists. And so the government exists and they bear the sword. If you don't want to be afraid of it, then don't do evil, the Bible says. But for those that want to do evil, just know there are those that bear the sword who will be avengers against those who commit evil. So as a Christian, there's no conflict whatsoever to be a shooter, you know, in that sense. Um you know, but I I think it creates a little bit of clash with some of the other guys. And you guys just need to go into that eyes wide open and and realize this, that's how it's going to be anywhere in the world. Not just in a special operations community, not just in the military, you go work a line anywhere, right? Like you go work in a factory, you go work like anywhere. And the guys around you are going to give you a hard time for your faith. And that's perfectly fine. And that's perfectly normal. Don't be surprised by it. If you live it out, they're going to give you a hard time about it. And Jesus even says, where do you if all men speak well of you? And so it's kind of like, I'll just leave it on this. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. It's the same light bearing source, the sun. It has a different effect based on the recipient. Wax melts, clay gets hardened. And so as you are kind of like that sun, you shine your light as a Christian, you are going to have, you're the same light bearing source. You're going to have an effect on those around you. Some people have that heart, that's like wax, they're kind of melted by it. They're like, man, I want to know more about that. Let your light so shine before men, they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. But the flip side of that light that people forget, Jesus says the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil forever and practicing evil, hates the light. and doesn't come to the light, lest their deeds should be exposed. That same light bearing source, on the one hand, there's guys that go, wow, I want to know more about this. I want to glorify your God who is in heaven. And there's others that, are repulsed by it. They don't want anything to do with it. That light is like an irritant. They want you to just put that away. And so you just stay that same consistent light. You're going to have a different response on those around you. And don't be surprised and don't try and be that guy that's just always liked and loved by everybody. You know, there was a reason why they wanted to kill Jesus, you know, in the end. And so in a sense, that's kind of part of the cross to bear.
1: That's well said, Chad, just an excellent answer to that question. I wanted to take a pause real quick and let you guys know that Chad's giving you essentially a cliff note versions of his story for our listeners out there, take a pause and scroll back to Chad's episode where he goes in further detail about his story and his book seal of God. And for you guys out there, if you haven't already checked out Chad's book, he goes into his story in, in deep length, his testimony, some of his time overseas, as well as his mentor, Scott Helvenston in the legacy that Scott left behind. Um, So I do challenge you guys to go check out Chad's book and, and it obviously supports him so that he can go do what he's doing and impact others. Let's see, our next question is gonna be from Dylan. My bad on skipping you, man. I did it on purpose though, <laughs> right, right, Dylan?
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, first off, I just think that it's really cool to hear the message <laughs> of the gospel from uh, you know, some of the most, I guess the word I'm looking for, is hard or the coolest guys on the planet, right? You guys get to do the coolest job. And um, it's just – it's really amazing to be able to hear that message coming from you guys. And it's kind of uh, – it, it really boosts morale, so to speak, for me. Um, I guess my question is is a little bit more off-topic. Um, when, you, when you went into BUDS, when you enlisted in the Navy, mm-hmm. um, like, what was your fitness journey like? Like, where did you start out? Did you start out training really hard mm-hmm. before you got there, like, knowing that what you wanted to do was to go to BUDS and become a SEAL? Or did you, like – you know, you show up and and you're like, Oh, there's this thing called buds. Cool. Sign me up for that. Yeah. I guess you could say like athletically in my background, I played a little bit of baseball as a kid, but probably what got me out the most was skateboarding. And you don't really think of skateboarding as like an athletic, you know, background, but I mean, looking back on it now, just had the impact on the legs, like hitting 10 stair handrails. And I mean, oh, yeah. that probably gets your legs in pretty good shape. Um, <laughs> but like the first run I ever went on, I ended up getting linked up with a Navy SEAL by the name of Scott Helvinston, who's like probably the most in shape Navy SEAL. Like honestly, if he was still alive to this day, you would be hearing about Scott Helvinston right next to David Goggins. He was the youngest man to ever. Like he's a guy that holds records. Scott is the youngest man to ever make it through SEAL training. He completed it at seventeen years old. I mean, talk about a guy that was not the victim of his circumstances. Uh, he grew up in over 20 different foster homes. And so the, he ended up in the military as a teenager and completed training by the time he was 17. That's the record on the books. Uh, he is a world champion pan He he's the fastest Navy SEAL on the SEAL training obstacle course. He's on a TV program where he raced a chimpanzee, the only guy to do it, raced a chimpanzee through an obstacle course, pulled ahead of the monkey on monkey bars. Uh, nice. so phenomenal athlete. And I got linked up with him and, uh, I think that this is just a testimony to like how important it is to have mentors, you know, because he really helped me to level up. He really like showed me like, yeah, there's levels to this game. And this is what's out there. And I think like the first intentional run I ever went on was with him. I didn't have running shoes back then. I ran in a a pair of like cab fives, like Vans. And uh, (laughs) he gave me my first pair of running shoes. The next time we linked up, he gave me like a hand-me-down pair. Uh, But I, I guess you could say, I started intentionally training for buds, not that far out from actually going into buds, probably all within a a one year timeframe. But, you know, I did have that skateboarding in the background. I did surf a lot. So sponsored for for skating, but I, I surfed a lot. So I was familiar with the water. I was a good swimmer. So that's helpful. Look, here's the thing that takes guys out of buds. If you guys are going to buds, definitely be concerned about calisthenics, but I've never seen anyone quit During calisthenics, I've never seen anyone at the pull-up bar, you know, just decide they're going to go ring that bell. I've never seen anyone on the grinder, you know, doing flutter kicks, get up and walk off and decide I'm going to go ring that bell. I'm sure it's happened, but I've never observed it. It happens on the runs. It happens on the swims. Those are the two places. And so I always think of that as like the twin peaks of buds. If you want to make it through buds, you need to become a very good runner and a very good swimmer. You should be able to do it at the drop of a hat. You should roll. You should be able to roll out of your bed and go run a marathon like in in any given moment. If you get really good at running and really good at swimming, you're going to meet a good place. Then you have the hardware. You have the hardware to make it. And then in Hell Week, they're going to test your software. They're going to see, do you have it here? Anyone that makes it to Hell Week, if you can make it to Hell Week, you have proven you have the hardware. And then in Hell Week, it's going to be a challenge on that software. They're going to see, can we get this guy to mentally break? And how are they going to do that? Well, they're going to do that by making you suffer physically. And so they use physical suffering, those tools, to see if they can get you to break mentally. But you got to know, if you could just make it to hell week, physically, you have what it takes to make it the rest of the way. The question is, is when it gets tough, are you really going to be able to push yourself with your mind and say that I'm going to keep doing this? Or are you mentally going to give up and say, I can't, when actually you can. You, you have, you have the, the hardware to do it.
1: All right. Great question. Thank you, Chad. And I wanted to go back to our interview earlier. For our listeners out there, when Chad and I discussed part of the SEAL Creed, a common man with uncommon desire, one of my questions for Chad was, in your opinion, what do you think breeds uncommon desire. What do you think develops uncommon desire? Is this something that we're born with? Is this something that happens from a a pivot point in our life? Is this coming from inspiration? What do you think, Chad? Uncommon desire. How do you get it?
0: Uh, There's a a quote that I think Jordan Peterson kind of popularized by Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, where he says that it's something along the lines of he who has a good why can endure anyhow. You know, if you have a good why, you can endure like whatever it takes anyhow to get there. And so what is it that feeds that desire? I think it's got to start within a little bit to some degree. But then like, why Why is it like, why do you want to be a Navy SEAL? Why do you want to go be, you know, a a parachute? Like, why do you want to do these things? I think it all starts with like, I, I want to do something like incredible. But if that reason doesn't mature along the way, you could find yourself in trouble. And so this is kind of how it matured for me. It started off with an I like that. Like, I don't want to be a loser. I want to go do something meaningful with my life. I'm dropping out of junior college. All my peers are passing me by. Like when I was younger, I got told things just like any one of you. Like there's people in your life that will speak to you and tell you, you could do anything you want to do, you know, and that big word potential gets thrown around. And that's all very true. But there does come a certain point in life where you need to kind of question, hey, what trajectory am I on right now? And so as I was in junior college and all my peers are passing me by, I'm not even making it at the local community college level. I'm like, dude, what is happening? I, I got to turn this around. And so for me, I'm thinking, what can I do with my life? And I tried to think of the biggest flashiest thing was go be a Navy seal. And so it started with that. If it was only that, I don't think it would have gotten me through training. It started with that, then get introduced to my mentor, Scott Helvinston. And this is all just kind of how it all worked out. And I developed a bond with him. He became like a second father to me. And, uh, Man, just like, just before I went in my last conversation with him on a, on a phone, which I did not know is going to be the last was him telling me, all right, junior about to go do this thing. He's referring to going off to Iraq. And uh, he says, I just want you to know something though, that I've never told anyone I've ever trained before. So I'm listening, you know, like this, I know this is going to be pretty important to me. And he says, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. It's like that right there to hear that from my mentor. I can't even put into words how much that meant to me. And it was just days later, I look at a TV screen and I see a picture of him on TV smiling. And I'm like, what is Scott doing on TV right now? I thought he's off in Iraq. And I look at the bottom of the screen and that's where I see his birth date followed by a dash. And it says March 31st, 2004. And then it was followed by just horrible video footage of what had happened to him and three other Americans as their vehicle was ambushed in Fallujah, Iraq, and the insurgents had videotaped the ambush and the media's playing parts of that. And so I'm looking at a guy that I was just looking at. I was just next to him, passenger seat in his truck, idolizing him, looking over at him thinking, man, I want to be like Scott. Man, I want my, my forearms to be like Scott's. Like I remember right now what it was like in that passenger seat, just being feet away. And then I'm, I'm looking through a TV screen now and I'm seeing those same arms, just lifeless as he's laying in there in the street. And this mob that just has sticks and rods and they're trying to mutilate his body. And they're taking this guy that is just, so important to me, and they're dragging him through the streets with a rope, and they hung him upside down from the bridge with the others, and, and set their bodies on fire, and they chanted in Arabic, Fallujah's the graveyard of America, Fallujah's the graveyard of America, and so I think pretty needless to say, I'll never have the words to describe like what that moment was like and all the surrounding moments, but I'll be honest with you guys, I mean, amongst all the different feelings of like emotions, like the all the grief, the the denial. I landed on something. I landed on revenge. I landed on a sense of hatred that I felt in my heart and in my mind that I've never experienced before. I wanted to get some get back so bad for my mentor overseas. And so it's that's not a healthy fuel to burn on. But I'll be honest with you guys, that, that revenge fuel, it burns bright, but it's not a healthy one. Thankfully, those reasons mature along the way as well. And so it starts off with like, I want to do something amazing to like, now I want to do this in honor and memory of my mentor. And I'm kind of on to something with that then. And I just stumbled upon this. I could look back and go like, these are the things that actually shaped me and, and really developed that, that desire you know, to make it through. I want to do this in honor and memory of my mentor. I want to walk in his footsteps and I want to get some get back. And then kind of pressing along the way a little bit more. Uh, before you go into Hell Week, one of the things the instructors let you do is they let you write on the inside of your hat. And what they expect you to write on the inside of your hat, they give you these white felt markers. The expectation is you're going to write on the inside bill of your hat, not the cap, the bill, so that all you got to do is glance, like jot your eyebrow, like just pass your eyebrows and you're going to see whatever's on the bill of your hat. You're going to write whatever it is that gets you to dig deep when the going gets tough, when you're being surf tortured, when it's like Tuesday night of hell week and you're going through hypothermia, you better be able to look at those things and you better have some good things on the inside of your hat. Like this is my why, this is what fuels my desire. And so here's the common theme that I saw on the inside of hats of guys that made it. And I'll tell you what was on nobody's hat. Remember, it all started off with an I. No one had their own name. No one wrote on the inside of their hat their own name. I'm not looking up at my own name on the bill of my hat going, all right, Chad, we're doing this one for us. Like, No, it was always something external. The guys that made it the common theme on their hats was faith, family and friends. You know, it's because we're looking around for inspiration from one another. And looking back, that's exactly what was on the inside of my hat. You know, at the time, I was a, I would I'd call myself a Christian, right? You guys already heard a little bit. Like, I wasn't totally walking with the Lord, but I knew this much. I want God on my side. You know, I'm going to be called. Like, there's no atheists in foxholes. I'm going to be calling out to God, you know, for sure to carry me through. So faith, I had my family on the inside of my hat. Picture this. Maybe this works for you guys my family was not going to get a phone call from me in the middle of hell week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like whatever. They're not going to get a phone call from me when they should not be hearing from me, telling them over the phone, Hey, I quit. I rather die than have that conversation. And if you're really willing to die before you have that conversation, that conversation's never taking place. And guess what? They're not going to kill you in training. All right. It's more dangerous out there on the freeways. It's so unlikely. And as long as you follow the rules, the guys that you die in training, a lot of times they discover it was either some type of precondition that they had before, right? Or they're messing around with stuff they should not be messing around with. Like, I can't believe how many performance enhancing drugs, like it was not even like that when I went through, you could name the guys that were doing it on one hand and then finding out now that it's like in dozens and dozens of guys' cars out in the parking lot. That's so stupid. It's just, like, you don't need any of that junk and all that's going to do, it's actually going to hurt you. All right. But I had family on the inside of my hat. My thought was, you're going you're gonna to have to take me out of here in a body bag before I ever get up and ring that bell three times and live that shame. I'm not going to do it. And so you only go so far for yourself. How far are you willing to go for your family, for your little brother, for your little sister, if you got them for you? You will go to the wheels fall off. Uh, and then, you know, of course, my friend Scott on the inside of my hat. Again, I am not quitting on his name. I am not quitting on his legacy. Uh, I'm, I'm, you're going to have to take me out of here in a body bag. If you really have like those reasons, that kind of a why, you know, if you have a good why you can endure anyhow, those are the things I looked at when I was suffering the most that really fueled my desire to make it through. It was the faith. It was the family. It was the friends. And I'm a girlfriend's name on the inside of that hat, which, uh, it's funny. I still have the hat to this day. It's a little awkward to break out in front of the wife. I'm just kidding. I married that girl. So I get to keep that hat around the house. Uh, but (laughs) those, those are the things right there, guys. And so think about it. Like the personal takeaway, I think for, for all of you is like, have it determined in your mind, figure it out before you even go into training. Like, what is it that you would write on the inside of your hats?
1: I love that, Chad. What would you write inside of your hat? And I want to throw one thing out there because there was so much to digest that I don't want to take away from Chad's message. If you think that you would write somebody else's name in your hat that has said something negative to you, that's not going to be good Mm. enough. That's called negative reinforcement. That means that you're using somebody's negativity or their doubts or the way they feel about you to, to try to motivate you to be something better. At the end of the day, it's got to be bigger than that. Because what happens Mm -hmm. whenever you do accomplish your goals? Are you going to try to create more (laughs) victimization or surround yourself with more negativity to push you? That just means you're going to continue to be surrounded with negativity. So leave those negative people in the past, create an outcome for yourself, positivity, and use that to drive you. I, I see as time goes forward, I see more and more people saying that, their motive and their why for going into special operations is to prove somebody wrong or to prove that they're not a failure. And like Chad said so well, that may get you to this point here, that may get you to the interest, that may get you to the first workout, but eventually that superficial why has to develop deeper and be purpose inside of your heart. So I just loved how Chad put that. We got time for one more question, gentlemen. Looks like we got Michael. Are you ready, Michael? Good to go.
0: Could you talk about the small kind of goals you would set up um, and little checkpoints you would make for yourself throughout Buds and Hell Week specifically, and maybe the impact that those had on you versus dudes that looked at the big picture and kind of maybe got overwhelmed in one situation and quit? Sure. Uh, just focusing on Hell Week, that's a good one, it is like the biggest mistake you could ever make while you're going through Hell Week is to try and think of like securing Hell Week like all the way forward to like, you know, Friday evening. Guys that talked about that, they quit. I would, I would see the guys that would be like, man, it's only like day two. We got how many more days of this? Like that mentality that would get inside of their heads to the point where it was just a matter of time, like before someone like that, that quit. And so I always try to break it down. Uh, sometimes it is just breaking it down to the next mealtime, which is, uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty big chunk right there. You know, there's a lot that happens in between, you know, mealtimes. And so that's kind of like the farthest out, I would think, is like making it to the next meal. Uh, A lot of times it would be just make it through this next evolution. And all the way down to, I specifically, I think I might have even written this down in the the book. I remember being on a run, like in the middle of hell week and just picking things on the ground in front of me that I would get to. I'd break it down that small. I would find a a piece of seaweed on the ground, like maybe just a hundred yards out. And I would step on that seaweed and then I'd pick the next thing. I remember one of the things was a, a seagull on the ground, a seagull that was just dead and it was all bloated. And I remember just getting to that thing and stepping on that thing like he was home base, just like, bah! you know, like <laughs> I just broke it down to little small bits like that uh, to get me through. And so, yeah, chunking it down like that is, is absolutely critical, especially when you get into hell week. And, uh, and that should be kind of the way that you're looking at, at it all. Like when, when you're in buds, don't even think past a week, you know, like you could think a little bit further out and it's just the intensity goes up. You need to break things down a little bit more and just know this too, that eventually this will end. Like this evolution will end. It does come to an end. And the last thing you want to be is one of these guys that just didn't hang in there quite long enough. And then that high level of suffering that you might be going through in that particular evolution, it does let up at some point, you will get a little reprieve, it might be like an active recovery, but it's not going to stay that bad, you're not always going to stay like in that sort of that furnace, it comes to an end. And man, to see the regret on these guys that just didn't quite hang in there, one of my best friends during what's appreciation day and Hell Week, they secured the evolution, he quit. And he quit down the beach, so I was unaware of it when he did that. Otherwise, I would have done everything I could to stop him and talk him out of it. Um, but he ended up quitting. I hear the bell ringing off in the distance. People are telling me, "Hey, you know, so and so quit." And uh, I was just in denial about it at first. I ended up talking with him later, and he goes, "Dude," because I was just so cold. Uh, all I could think about was just like warming up, and and he just lost the desire. But the sad thing was, is that it was within like a minute or two of him getting up out of the water to quit, they secured the evolution. If he just would have hung in there a little bit longer, but he was thinking too far ahead. He was thinking like, I can't do all of this. I can't do buds. I can't do six months more of this. But I bet you if someone would have just gotten his ear and told him, like, could you hang on like five more minutes? He would have gotten through that for sure. Uh, And so just you're onto something there, you know, chunking things down, breaking it down, knowing that it will come to an end. And there's basically two different ways that you come out on the other end. You either come out with your head up, knowing like, hey, I hung in there and I got through it. Or you come out on the other end and with your head down, looking at all the guys that stuck it out and the suffering's over for them and the suffering's over for you too, but you walked away. And now you're, you don't get to continue on with the rest of the guys as they go around to chow and you see them laughing. You know, they were, we were all suffering. Now they're laughing. They're already like enjoying each other again and running to chow and class continues, they go on, you know, but the guy that walked away from it all, just before it all ended, he's out, he's out for good. And it, it it will affect your life for the rest of your life. I've met the guys that have quit and regretted it for a lifetime. And I don't think it should, but you know, I'm just saying that these guys that I've met, they, I've met so many guys that are like, I was that dropout. I was that guy that didn't make it. And they have like, Top shelf items in their life. They'll say that with a kid right next to them. Like, this is their son that they have right next to them. But they still have this huge regret about not making it through, like buds. I, I just want to encourage those guys after knowing and making it through training. Remember, like, once you've achieved what you thought would deliver the ultimate, in the end, it lets you down. Being a seal is awesome. Being any type of special, it's all awesome stuff. Guys, there are way higher shelf items out there in life, though. All right. Don't let that be God of your life. And one of them is like these guys that have these kids next to them, like, bro. You got a little guy right there next to you. Like that is way better than any trident. It is way better than any achievement. Like in that sense, like I just, I wish I could get them to believe that. But since they don't know like what that trident tastes like, they, they have a hard time, you know, buying into that or believing that I'm long winded, man. Um, but yeah, you're good. Chalking it down, breaking it down all the way to the point where sometimes you're just picking a dead seagull on the beach to go step on. Let that be home
1: base. My man, Chad Williams, drop in powerful knowledge and wisdom. Any parting words before we close for today?
0: I guess like the most important message of all would be seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the most important message I'd have to share with anyone. It's going to be awesome to be a part of a a special operations community for all of you. You get to fight for freedom. You get to sabotage the plans of an enemy. You get to disrupt, you know, like evil men that have intentions of stealing, killing and destroying and, and bringing other people down with them. I mean, they fully accept they're going to die when they strap on a suicide vest, but they're not content with that. Like, how are they going to measure success? Well, they measure su- success in terms of body count. How many people could I take out with me? But you have the opportunity to sabotage those evil plans. And so I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, enemy occupied territory. That is what this world is. But Christianity is the story about how our rightful king has landed. You might say in disguise. And now he's calling us all to take part in his great campaign. A sabotage. That campaign of sabotage is overthrowing the plans of another suicide bomber. I would call it the ultimate terrorist. And it truly is global war on terror. It says the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. And so I've read the back of the book. Spoiler alert Satan's going down. So he's the suicide bomber. And like any suicide bomber out there, he's going to measure success in terms of body count. How many people can he take out in the process? He wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and you've got to make that personal. He wants to go after your family, your friends, your co-workers, any other fellow human being made in the image of God. He wants to destroy them, but for the Christian that's out there, you have an opportunity to be a part of special forces. It's God's special forces, all right? Some of you are extra special out there, but uh, it's special forces. You get to sabotage the plans of the ultimate terrorist, the ultimate suicide bomber. How? You disrupt his plans. You advance freedom with what weapon? The greatest weapon we have is the gospel message. That's the greatest weapon we have to charge the kingdom of darkness with. And here's the realization I came to while I was in the teams at best. If we're successful, perhaps we preserve somebody's life. Maybe somebody that was going to die. We save them. They live. But guess what? They will die eventually. 10 out of 10 people die. But you save somebody's life, their soul for eternity. And this is just my message to you all. You don't just save their temporal life. Like, although a man shall die, Jesus says he shall live. You save them for all eternity. And so in that sense, you guys have an opportunity for those that that know the Lord to be a two-edged sword. And uh, that's just the edge I'm on now. It's like, that's the impact I want to make. I want to advance. I want to preserve life and freedom. And I want to advance that that gospel message.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to SOCOM Athletes Podcast. Send me this episode with Navy SEAL Chad Williams author of the book Seal of God. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider supporting us by giving us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. And a big reminder that our March 11 Jacksonville Hell Day event and March 25 Denver Hell Day event are partnered with the Colorado and Florida Army National Guard Special Forces Units. Attendance is 100% free. Coupon code COARNG for the Denver Hell Day event. Coupon code FLARNG for the Florida Hell Day event in Jacksonville. Don't miss your opportunity to receive world-class training from the very special operators that you seek to one day become. Take the step forward and get registered for Hell Day now. Event registration, further information, and frequently asked questions can be all found on the SOCOM Athlete website. Thanks again for tuning in to SOCOM Athletes Podcast. Send me. We are out. Three. Three. We are, thank you. Up, up, down. Forward. Up, up, down.